you have your Bibles, you might want to find John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 with me tonight. Several years ago, I'd say as many as 17 or 18 years ago, um, I was asked within our association to do a, um, an evangelism training course, and uh, I worked really hard to put it together. And uh, in the course of it being announced for several weeks that people could sign up, I ran into a friend of mine who was uh, a special needs person, and he told me he was coming. And I was so excited. I liked spending time with him. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I won't lie. I wondered how much of it he was going to be able to absorb. Um, and that really challenged me to make sure I put a lot of it in pieces he could absorb. It was a wonderful challenge, actually. And uh, so we got there, and we spent like four solid hours deep dive into, into theology and scripture, doctrine, you know, uh, the history of, of evangelism in the church, all this stuff, right? And then we have lunch, and after lunch, I say, listen, guys, we're going to do some role-playing. We're going to do some situational role-playing, and to make it as random as I can, we're going to draw the, the participants out of a hat. And wouldn't you know it, right after lunch, he was one of the first ones up. He was challenged to be the person asking the questions, being, being the witness, making the proclamation, and the person and the other side of it was supposed to be a bit resistant to the gospel. This is literally how it started out. We'd gone through all these methodologies, and you had to pick a lane and go with one. The first question out of my friend's mouth is, do you want to go to heaven? To which the person playing their part replied, no. My friend quickly said, we'll go to hell then. You're like, well, okay, he's not wrong, <laughs> but perhaps the gospel deserves a bit of nuance. People had always told me my whole life, and especially after I came to the faith, that I saw things too black and white, I was too blunt, and so it was really refreshing for that sort of bluntness to come back to me and cause me to see that... Uh, Maybe I, too, come across this way. I want to be frank with you. Tonight's passage, if you're not familiar with it, is a bit like that. Except, except the only person you have to blame about such bluntness is Jesus. And we're really left wrestling with a very, very difficult saying. So tonight, if you would, join me at John chapter 3, verse 16, and through verse 21. The Bible reads like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through, excuse me, that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already. Look at your neighbor and say, condemned already. I want you all to hang on that. You're going to need that. Why? He continues, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Fathers, we have opened your word 
we are tempted in a society where so many can read to deal with your word as simply a piece of literature. But we believe you when you say it's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce through to our very soul. So, Father, we are dealing here with the oracles of God. We do not have spiritual discernment without divine help. So we have opened your word and faithfully read it. Now, Father, open it to us that we might meet with Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen and amen. You know, there's two popular views of Jesus in the world, and there's many shades of both of these popular views, but basically is some folks see God as this heavy-handed guy who's basically angry all the time and just waiting to play whack-a-mole with you, waiting for you to mess up, and he drops the hammer on your head. Or the other popular view of Jesus is that nothing bothers him and everything is okay. No matter what you do, Jesus is cool. I call that the Doobie Brothers Jesus. Anybody from the 70s will remember the Doobie Brothers Jesus. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. The problem with that is it's not accurate. Does God have a fatherly chastisement over his children? Yes. Does God plan to pour out wrath on the unredeemed? Yes. Is God tender in his mercies and compassionate to many? Yes. Could it be said that these qualities would cause someone to wrongly see God? Absolutely. Absolutely. This passage brings it to a beautiful head where we see the fullness of God and he has no problem holding what seems to be to us opposing parts of his character in perfect unity, not being at all off balance. You know the background, or I'm at least sure you do. There's this guy, he's a Pharisee. You might say this guy is a big-time Pharisee. He's a leader among the Pharisees. You might think of him as a, as a leader of a mega church, maybe, if we want to just give an illustration in modern terms. Like, this guy would be a guy who would have a lot of guys working under him. He's a leader in Israel, and he's come to meet Jesus at night, and everybody has an idea of why. Truth is, it doesn't tell us. Maybe they both just worked a lot that day. But we're left to believe he wanted a private conversation without interruption, perhaps in secret, but he wanted an audience with Jesus. And he comes and Jesus says two wildly radical things to him that I imagine unsettled him. The first thing he says to him, you must be born again. This is the moment that if we had a, had a, had a film of what happened, you would start seeing calculus problems appear all around his head. He's going, how, how can that happen, you know? Little diagrams, arrows shooting through the air, a rocket going out of the atmosphere. He, he's like, whoa, this is mind-boggling, mind-blowing. And he even chastises him. He's like, man, you're a leader. Like, this, this is like elementary belief, and you don't get it. Reminds me of one guy who became a student of Martin Luther and then John Calvin both, and he had been, he had had a doctorate in theology for 10 years before his soul was ever awakened. In other words, he had passed man's bar but hadn't even met God's threshold. Oh, 
that the church here in the South is full of such souls. They have the answers without the life. I always say they, they know the words, but they can't seem to do the dance. And even though Jesus chastises him, he doesn't back up off of it. He says, listen, man, you have to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He says, okay, well, how can I be born again? He goes, hey, this is something that's not in your control. Now, this would bother a Pharisee. Pharisee wants to know how to keep the law. He just said, you don't have the capacity to mentally understand this alone, and you have no power to do it. It's like the wind. It's coming and going, and you just see its effects. This would have boggled Nicodemus. And then there's this other thing he says in John 3.16. He says, whoever. This is when the record scratches completely. What do you mean, whoever? Isn't God just for the Jews? Psych. This would have been mind-boggling to Nicodemus. Totally mind-boggling. So on the one hand, it seems like God's a bit of a jerk. You have to get something that you have no power to get. And on the other hand, he seems like anybody can get it. Whosoever will. And you say, which is it? And you say, yes. Amen. Which is it? You got to look at what's in between. He gives them a story out of Numbers 21. Where he says, remember the people who were bitten by the snake and God gave them something to look on so that they would be cured? Look on me, Nicodemus. Look on me. This is your escape. You're no less bitten, even though you're much smarter than your neighbor. So I have four quick ideas around this passage with that as a backdrop. Big idea number one, God offers salvation as a gracious gift. I mean a gracious gift. You say, man, I already know that, but do you ever just relish it? <sighs> Isn't it fun to watch the news and get angry about everybody's sin? I love it, man. I love to look around it. I, man, you talking about, I ought to run Spec Inspectors International. I love to look in other folks' eyes. Man, you got a problem, and uh, you need to do something about it. But I want to tell you what, when you come to John 3, 16, before you dare look out of any of the windows, grab one mirror. See, we often get this crazy image that we're out here sort of floundering around. Like, you know, we grabbed a piece of cheesecake as we fell off of the Titanic and we're snacking and waiting for someone to throw a white floaty donut. That's not the image given in Scripture of someone who's without God. We're dead, completely dead, decaying on the bottom of the ocean, even the whales are ignoring us. It's over. That's that image he gave Nicodemus. You got to be born again. He was like, yo, how? Well, God's got to do it. How, how can I be a part of that? Well, first, just put your eyes on me. Put your eyes on me. When's the last time you just took an account of who you were and where you were when you met the Lord? When's the last time you just took an account of where you are today? I, I often rejoice. I'm, I pray to God somebody in here is like me. I often rejoice that I ain't who I used to be. Somebody say amen. But man, whew, 
I am not satisfied with who I am. The same amazing grace that gave me life really has a hold of me until my life is just like his. This is a very gracious offer. How do I know it's gracious? Because it includes the whosoever. And what's he saying here is whosoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever would look to me like those folks look to that brazen serpent in the wilderness, just like that. If you'll look to me, whoever, red, yellow, black, and white, somebody say amen. Educated and ignorant, somebody say amen. Poor and rich, somebody say amen. On and on and on. On and on and on. Whoever, whoever would look to Jesus will be saved. And he, he tells us what his motive is. His motive is his love. He tells you what his, what his, what his method is. It's his grace. How is he going to do this? With an outpouring of his favor. Because remember, we're dead on the bottom of the ocean. We can't do this. He tells you what his mediator is. How am I going to deliver you the grace? Through my son on the cross. He tells us what his motive is. It's his love. He tells us what the object of his love is. It's the world. He tells us what the action of showing the love is. It's a cross. It's a cross. This is a very gracious offer. Secondly, it is God's gracious purpose to send his son into the world that people through him might be saved. Somebody say amen in this place. Now, Jesus, just a few chapters later, and trust me, if, if you guys will stick with us until, say, 2029, when we get to John chapter 9, you'll actually see what seems to be contradictory where he says he's come to judge. That's part of his job. It's just that door isn't open yet. Think of Titus 2. We won't go there for sake of time. I see it's already flown by. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, where it says he's appeared once to open the door of grace, you might say, and he'll appear another time to show himself in glory. So what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 3 and verse number 17 is he didn't send him right now. Now, my dad never came in a phase of grace. Like he would come to wherever we were working. He was always coming in wrath. There was no warning. His warning was, Here's your to-do list for the day. If you don't do it, I'm going to beat you. That was the warning. There was no coming to say, hey, guys, how's it going? Tim, you're doing a great job. David, keep up the good work, bud. By the way, if you don't get done, I'm going to bring in a lots of help to help finish the work. Never any of that. Just go do the work. The work's not done. Boom. God has said, I sent my son so that you can see what righteousness is, so you can see you don't have it, so you can see that I'm not, I'm not simply saying I'm going to cover this. I'm not going to put a Band-Aid on your problem. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be sinless. He's going to die for you. Why? So that people will be saved. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I pray it becomes one of your favorites. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way? And live. This will surprise you, but maybe if you thought about it like this. Have I any pleasure in the death of Adolf Hitler? I mean, God would ask that question. Have I any pleasure in the death of Adolf Hitler? Have I any pleasure in the death of Jeffrey Dahmer? 
See, a lot of times we love to see people fall. It's very awesome to me to be reminded that God's heart's not that way. Will he judge? Somebody better say amen. But what he's telling us about his heart is I take no pleasure in that. What I would rather see is someone be saved. That's his purpose, to send the son into the world that people might be saved through him. Thirdly, people respond to God's gracious offer, and whether receiving or rejecting the gift, there are consequences. There will be consequences, and what else, y'all? Repercussions. Point blank and period. In preparing for this message, I come across something from John Piper that's much more succinct than anything I could ever say. John Piper says this, Jesus did not come to a neutral world with the result that some people move from neutrality to be anti-Jesus and others move from neutrality to be pro-Jesus. Nobody was neutral, and nobody is neutral. We have all sinned. We are all guilty. We are all perishing. Therefore, we are all under God's righteous wrath, and we are, read those two words. Where could John Piper get such a notion? Go back to John chapter 3 and verse number 18. He says, if you believe on Jesus, you're not condemned. If you don't believe on Jesus, you're condemned already. In other words, everybody begun condemned. It's not that you reject Jesus and now you're condemned. You're already condemned. You're already dead. Born dead in our trespass and sin. Once sin infected humanity, it has completely infected humanity. And we're not talking about Jesus coming to present himself and you are now not guilty because you believe or you're guilty because you don't believe. We're already already guilty. Somebody say amen. Woo, read your bulletin on the stuff that I'm not saying. I left an article in there for you guys because somebody has their wise question. What about folks who haven't heard? Read the bulletin. Our time grows short. Fourthly and lastly, here's part of the toughest thing it says. People don't get saved because they love darkness. Now, <clears throat> I'm praying... I'm praying none of, you, none of you stumble at this story. But the other day, I was walking around in my stretchy shorts. And pretty much that's it. Stop, stop picturing it, Andrew. And uh, there was... I looked down, and everything was jiggling every which way. And I, I couldn't find a T-shirt fast enough, and I... I peeked out the window real quick, and it was the Amazon Prime guy. And I don't know the Amazon Prime guy, but I didn't want him to stumble either. <laughs> he had something I had to sign for. And so, well, not the Amazon, the, the FedEx guy, FedEx guy. I had to sign for something. And so, man, I threw the shirt on. What, what is it about being exposed? I mean, no one was in the house. I was home all alone. But at the thought... That somebody might see me in a state that I didn't want to be seen in. I was struck with a bit of terror. Anybody ever been there? You say, wait a minute. And so I did the thing where, you know, you hear my voice, right? Everybody hear my voice? Everybody on the count of three, do an amen uh, imitation of me. One, two, three. Amen. One minute. Who wants to be exposed? 
Let me ask you something. If you grabbed your cheesecake and you fell off the Titanic and you were in the freezing waters and you were buck naked, would you resist rescue at your shame or would you relish rescue in spite of your shame? I get chills to think about this. I'm firmly convinced that if somebody gets thoroughly converted, redeemed, you could skyrocket their sins and they wouldn't even buckle at the sight of them. Because we're talking about being rescued out of hell, man. You know, people love to bring up my past because I got a big mouth. And so, so I sort of bring it on myself. I go places and they say, weren't you that guy that did this thing? Yeah. Weren't you that guy that did this thing? Yeah. Weren't you that guy that did this? No, I didn't do that. You think about somebody. <laughs> I don't run from my story. You know why? Because the shame of my past isn't as big as the glory of God's future. Some of us are so scared we're going to get found out when you're already known. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you God won't expose you. He will put your behind on display. He will put you on display and tell everybody all your mess for his glory. So I'm, I'm not going to pretend like there's somewhere to hide. There's just somewhere to be safe. That's two different things. So what does he say? He says it very plainly. I don't even know why I preach on it except I love it so much. He says, this is a judgment. Light's coming to the world, and people love darkness. It's all kinds of darkness. We get illustrated all day long. But what he basically says is there are people who reject Jesus because when he brings the light, there's something they don't want in the light. I think the biggest thing is self-rule. I want to be in charge of me. And sometimes that just manifests into the thing where you live real quietly in front of a TV and you never risk anything so that nobody can push back against you. And sometimes you try to become heads of political parties and take over whole countries. And it's actually the very same, it's the very same infection. Some of us love things that God says, that's sin. And so we try to get God to like it with us. He just doesn't play that game. His holiness is too serious. There's a question for us tonight, and it's a question. It's a question that goes to all of us. Here's Jesus saying, come to me. If you haven't come to him, would you come tonight? Such a broad invitation. Whoever would come, come. Wow. Wow. I love, and I'll remind you how much I told you I loved it when we went through it a few weeks ago. John chapter 1 and verse number 12, if you believe on that name and receive him, he will give you the right to be his child. Not everybody's a child of God, everybody's a creation of God, but you can get adopted. Hallelujah. Or we'll take the Apostle Paul's words. If you believe where, church? In the in your core of your affections. And you profess from Where? The vehicle of your accountability. Because if you say it and somebody hears it, they say, did you, did you mean that? The core of your affection, the vehicle of your accountability. Or just take Jesus' his word. <laughs> Whoever believes on me will not take the natural course of their already condemned state. But they will 
have eternal life. And it'll start now. It's not a place you go, it's a person you know. Would you receive, would you believe, would you confess? And then to my brothers and sisters, just tell me, guys, are you caught treasuring Jesus today? Because that's the challenge to us, too. Hey, hey, Nicodemus, hey, smart religious guy, are you willing to let God have control? Mm. So I, you know, I'll pick on Casey. Casey, hey, smart religious guy, are you willing to let go and say, God, you're the boss no matter what? And I, sh- I am more happy to be released from my sin than I am afraid that you'll know it. God's honest truth. Do I struggle? Hello? Yes. Am I still erecting my own sorts of covering? Yes. But I see the foolishness in it. And I want to be caught treasuring Jesus. We're going to sing. Uh, what are we going to sing, Andrew? There's a, ooh, one of my favorites. I like that last verse. Lisping, lisping. When my, when my poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Man, what a joy to think. What a joy to think that even at that point, the blood's over me. The blood's over me. The altar's yours. If you're a guest, it's very regular for us to come down here and pray. That's why Brother Larry even made some kneeling benches for the, the old and infirm. God's dealing with you. Let him deal with you. That's the invitation. We're going to sing, and I want somebody to pray with you. Uh, here's Casey. Brett's somewhere. I saw him. Or is he in the nursery? You can grab. It's a lot of really faithful people if you need somebody to pray with you. More than anything, you need to respond to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and share these few moments. What a gracious offer you've given us. May we see your wooing, kind hand at work and come to Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen.